Well, the virus is a tough opponent. It's, it's taken charge of the whole country in a lot of ways. We're still up and running. We still are fighting it. So we've got to be realistic about where we're at. We've got to realize that how tough this opponent is and all of us band together. Make a conscientious effort to do everything we can to whip it. And we got one other caveat that other businesses don't have. We have to take care of the horses and we're going to take care of the horses. These people work long hours, they work seven days a week, they have to get a paycheck. We're going to get them a paycheck. Well, we're going to beat it because we've got great people and great leadership in our industry. Each and every one of us have to buy into the fact that we're going to win, that we're going to beat it. As the country gets better, and we'll get better, we'll get a handle on this, I think that we'll start creeping back and then we might be bigger and stronger because of it than we ever could have been before. Believe me, the horse racing industry misses you, miss the fans, and we all miss you too. The key word at this point, where we're at in a country and in racing, is hope. That hope and that attitude and that adjustment we make every morning, it's important. With it together, if everybody joins in and buys in, we're going to win the whole thing and we'll be back stronger than ever. Our attitude and what we think and what we perceive will get us over any hurdle in any adversity. That was D. Wayne Lucas and a uh, message that he produced or he was part of for Oakland Park. And it really sums up where we're at in our horse racing business. And thank you for joining us for this very special edition of uh, Beating COVID-19 Together. The Thoroughbred Connection. Uh, we're going to air this episode with limited or no commercial breaks, as we feel this is this is important. Uh, this thing, and I don't even know what to call what's going on, has stopped the world in its tracks. But as D. Wayne said, for us, the horses still need to be taken care of, the staff still needs to be paid, and life needs to move on and go forward. Over the next two hours, our guests will help you understand what is being done, what you can do and hopefully give you something to look forward to in the very near future. Our first guest today is kind of a renaissance man. Chris Katulak is CEO of Fodder Park in Nebraska. He's an Oklahoma, uh, Nebraska native, and he's kept that racetrack open. And a lot of you may have known Chris from his days at TVG or as co-author of one of my favorite books, uh, Jack from Grit to Glory. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's it's uh, nice to be involved in a in a show that is as important uh, to horse racing and tells the story of horse racing past, present, and future. And uh, um, I'm humbled to be considered a Renaissance man because I've known some guys that I I think surely are and. Um, I'm eating their dust, but uh, I am, I'm doing the best I can here at Fauner Park. 
a place where I cut my teeth on horse racing, as at least as an announcer, going back into the 80s. So we'll call that a lifetime ago. How about that? Well, it, it was. And actually, I was talking to a friend of mine, Lindley Smith, who uh, started riding at Foner. And it was always one for favorite favorite places. And uh, as I'm watching it on TVG, uh, I'm saying to myself, boy, that is really kind of a nice place where everybody just seems to be kind of family. Tell me what what prompted you folks to stay open and what were some of the challenges and, and some of the aftermath of it, if you would. Sure. Um, well, it goes back to the first week of of March when COVID thing was starting to percolate quite a, quite a bit here in Nebraska. And the uh, second week of March is when I decided that we need to really start taking some precautions here. And we ramped up our, our cleaning and our awareness with our employees. And we're starting to mention the social distancing thing. Of course, you know, in early March, people were still snickering and rolling their eyes and sort of laughing about uh, COVID-19 and coronavirus. Well, it was no joke then when the mayor of Grand Island, Mayor Roger Steele, uh, talked to me the following week and said that uh, he wanted to close us down. And I told him that I understood his decision and I respected it. But uh, what about if we close down and just have no spectator racing? And he felt that was a good compromise. And I should just back up a little bit and say I've been in discussion with the health director of the Central District Health Department. That's the area that governs Grand Island, which is in Hall County. And Teresa Anderson has had a wonderful demeanor throughout all of this process. Uh, and her motto has always been, she's here to spread fact, not, not fear. And uh, that's been helpful. Um, so I told her about our policies and told her what we wanted to do to keep racing. And she has always been on board, board with whatever our protocol has been. Uh, your question is what inspired me to keep the racing going. And it was, simply to keep the horses being fed and cared for in the stable area. And part of that has to come with keeping the people here to care for them and keeping them fed and cared for. And their care, of course, comes from money, revenue, making a wage, continuing their livelihood. And I just felt we have got to do something to, to keep this going. And for me, it was a, a simple no-brainer less to um, – say, hey, let's let's go up and race on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, because we don't we won't stand a chance going on the weekend. And that was sort of the first step to seeing how this thing all snowballed in a positive way. And as a result, your handle has skyrocketed. Sure. Uh, now, that's, that's what did you guys uh, do last night, for example? Well, um, yesterday, uh, Wednesday, uh, April 8th, was the first day after we had our incredibly large and popular uh, mandatory uh, payout or force out, if you want to call it, in the Dinsdale Lake Pick 5. Um, but yesterday, the day after that, we handled $2.6 million. Now, that's sort of uh, um, the, the story behind that is that the, the day before, we handled $4.1 million. So you might think, wow, that's half as what she did. But that 4.1 was just the incredible 
attention we got across the world, and we can talk about now Fauna Park is being seen across the world, but there was $3.6 million bet into a half a million dollar pick five carryover. In one day, $3.6 million was bet into it. That's what caused that $4.1 million day that we had um, just this past week on Tuesday. Now, it sounds, you know, to the layman, it would sound like, wow, this is a windfall for Fodder Park. But the reality is the the horsemen are doing well, right, because they've got purses and maybe some additional carryover purses going forward. But for the racetrack, it's a little different because you don't have any of your ancillaries working. Right. There's a two-part response to that, Les, and that is um, the – the money that is bet on Fauner from out of state is significantly less than, than the money that Fauner and, and the horsemen would retain for money that is bet in state or Fauner on Fauner. Um, in general terms, three to four percent is what we are receiving now from, from every dollar that is bet. But of that, we'll say three or four percent. Fauner Park gets 1.5% of that, and if we're going to use the 3% model, and the HBPA or the horsemen get uh, 1.5 of that 3%. So we split it. We split 3%. So it's fantastic for the horsemen because when we decided to go to this no spectator racing, I would have thought, well, we're going to have to cut some purses. Maybe we'll just have to run one day a week. No, the horsemen said, we're just going to keep on marching until the purse money runs out. Well, there was potential for that, and still may be, because it's a day-to-day operation. We don't know at any point we might be shut down. But it's been a good gamble for the horsemen, because their purse structure, apart from uh, reducing a couple of stakes races is all, but the overnight money has remained unchanged through all of this. And so the horsemen continue to fuel the funding for the purse money. So that's great for them. They don't care if we race Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturday, or Sunday. They're just happy they're getting purse money. Problem is, in order to keep a car going down the road, you need to do more than put fuel in it. You have to put the repairs and the maintenance into it, and that's where Fauner Park holds the bag on that. So we have daily racing expenses that reoccur every day when we race, and that's $3,000 for jockey insurance every day. There's uh, money we have to pay for to get your tote uh, up and running each each day. Amtote is our provider. There's video services. All of that comes to over $6,000 each day. And then we've got close to $20,000 in racing payroll per week. And so that obviously detracts from the money that's coming in. And, and I'll, I'll come up for air here in just a second when I answer the other half of your question is, yes, the ancillary revenue is how Fauner Park floats our boat because the money that we're missing out on food and beverage and seating sales will never get recouped. And even though we're having this big, these big sexy numbers for mutual handle, um, Fauna Park will not make money this racing season because we don't have the sellout crowds that we have on Saturday. And by the way, I'll leave you with this thought, Les, um, on this long winded answer. We sell out Every Saturday of our 11-week meet at Fauner Park, we get six to 6,500 at the least every Saturday. And I challenge you to tell me what racetrack in the nation still does that in year in year 2020, or did it in year 2000, for that matter. Well, you you obviously have a loyal fan base there, 
And I, I, this is a tough time. But what you've done, I think, because you are a small track and because you've taken the financial risk and because you thought so deeply of trying to protect the horsemen, it'll come back. It'll come back to you folks. And I know you've got you've got an excellent your racing department's an excellent racing department. Wayne Anderson and his folks have been putting together full cards. So once we get past this, hopefully things start getting a little bit better. What do you think? Well, you know, the the, fauna, the current Fauner Park horseman, and you've mentioned one, Wayne Anderson, who's the middle jewel of the three generations of race riding Andersons. Irv Anderson goes back to the Calumet Farm days, and he rode Bull Lee and market-wise in the, in the Kentucky Derby. Uh, so Irving Anderson and uh, Nebraska Racing Hall of Famer produced Wayne Anderson, who was a jockey on the Nebraska circuit for decades and has been an official now for decades. He's in the Nebraska Racing Hall of Fame, and their son Chad was an outstanding rider as well. And then even Mark, Chad's brother, was a rider. Um, so that's part of the fabric of Nebraska horse racing, the Andersons. It's kind of a clan now, Les, um, that horse racing in Nebraska has become. We're a shadow of our former self. We're a real hard scrabble uh, uh, group of individuals that can, they really have to butter their bread this season, this time of year, uh, during Nebraska's springtime tradition. That's what I call Fauner Park from late February until the Kentucky Derby, as we typically know it, first Saturday in May. And then they go elsewhere, and then it becomes more difficult for them to win races at Prairie Meadows or Canterbury Park or Indiana Downs. But they do it, and they do it just enough to survive. But this is where they come back and have to make the lion's share of their wins. The problem is our average purse money here is $5,000 a race. The average money we give away on a race day here at Fauner is roughly $50,000. And so the the $2,500 claimers don't cut it when they go ever, any, anywhere else, but this is where they have to hang on and be competitive here in Nebraska. You know, that's one of the things that I've noticed uh, over, over the last week or two of watching your races. I've never seen jocks so happy to win a $2,500 race in my life. You know, and, you know, and it's kind of, it's kind of refreshing though. We have a couple new writers, and, and maybe one you're even uh, referencing, and if you're not, I'll reference. His name is Rilardo Caprio. You know, and, I just uh, sent him a message the other day. Okay, that's the one. And he's, a, he's an interesting young man. Uh, he's from Venezuela. We have three writers uh, from Venezuela from here. Uh, Luis Rodriguez is another one. And then Freddie Manrique was here, uh, but he couldn't control some of his disciplinary uh, matters, and and then and then he um, he he got a suspension. But anyway, he'll be back. Um, but he is so happy to win a race because one, he he hasn't been winning that many races. He had a really bad week here about a week ago when he was involved in three uh, Seward's inquiries or objections and didn't win any of them. He was over three that day. So any race that he wins now, he feels like he's won the breeders cup. He's trying to keep his family up and running here with winning $5,000 races. So I appreciate him being jubilant after a win. He hasn't done it that many times and he's still a young man. So bring it on. No, I, I think it's great and it's refreshing. And as a horseman, I want to thank you and, your team, and uh, wish you guys all the best of luck in 
just just keep plugging away. You know, we we as horsemen appreciate it. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I hope one thing that the take home message from Fauner Park being in the spotlight here is we are a clean, tidy, little, efficient facility here. We're not Saratoga. We're not Del Mar. We're not Keeneland. But what we do, we do the best we can. And we're a safe, clean, little, little racetrack. And our infield is turning green and I can see buds on the trees now. And, and hopefully folks will get a glimpse of that before we wind up our, our meet. Thank you so much for allowing me to be part of your, your no, show. Thank you. And uh, hopefully we get to get get out there because it's a place now that's on my bucket list. So, Beautiful. You're Chris, welcome again, sure. thanks for all your hard work. Thank you again. Great. That was Chris Katulak, who is the the CEO of Foner Park, my new favorite racetrack. And we're going to s- switch gears just a little bit because in times of trouble, those of us on the backside know that there's always someone there for us. It's usually someone from the racetrack chaplaincy. And over the years, I can't tell you how many times I've spoken with the chaplains, people that work with me. And in this hectic time, they're they're the guys that so many people are looking to. And I'm very fortunate to have the organization's executive director, Dan Waits, with us. Dan, thank you for coming on. Thank you, Les. I appreciate the opportunity. with, With so many tracks out of action, the pressure must be incredible for the chaplaincy. Tell, can you give us an overview of what's going on? Yeah, there's quite a bit, actually. Uh, you know, our mission is kind of to minister to the spiritual, educational, emotional, physical, social needs of the horse racing industry. That's what we do. And, you know, it's uh, it's been a time where we've had to adapt. Uh, there's been a time where where our whole uh, chaplaincy um, you know, mechanism uh, has had to step up and to reach out and to help in any way that we possibly can. So, again, it's, it's actually been uh, actually a little bit encouraging, only from their fact, and I know there's a lot of uh, heartache and there's a lot of uh, questions about the future and that type of thing, whatever, but actually the chaplaincy as a whole has been... You know, I'm just so proud of them. I'm so proud of the chaplains and the volunteers, the other council members who have who have basically stood in the gap and said, you know, we're going to see, um, you know, these workers and, and the industry through this time. And and I've just been again encouraged in that regard that they've been able to to provide some help. Can you tell me a little bit of what some of the guys are doing out out in the field? Because it yeah, it's it's unusual. And, and, it is unusual, and, and I think it's just like with everyone else, you know, this is a town that we haven't seen before. So uh, what's been great is that um, is that we have been there. I know probably the epicenter right now is um, is in New York, and obviously uh, Chaplain Humberto Chavez is, is the chaplain for uh, Belmont and Aqueduct and uh, Saratoga. And I just got off phone with him moments ago. We were just talking about what they've been through. The whole team up there, and he has a team, and they're very dedicated. And so they've been ministering to those who've been quarantined, and they've been ministering and bringing food to, to people uh, that they know need it. Um, uh, Nick Harris is, is a integral part of that team, and he's been long-serving with Umberto. And 
I know Nick uh, yesterday said that he had to take uh, food to a family uh, where the entire family uh, had been diagnosed. And so, so it's just a, it's a, you know, uh, a real uh, need that they're providing uh, for many uh, in New York, and I know they could use your prayers and support. Uh, yeah. Also, I mean, I, you know, I have to say, you know, I could go, I could go down the list. Well, you know, we've got uh, 47 different tracks and, and facilities that we're covering, and so uh, I could go down and list a whole host of things. But you know, some of the things that come to mind uh, is just at Santa Anita. You know, Chapel Anita Hernandez has been there uh, the entire time uh, with with those folks at Santa Anita and Del Mar and San Luis Ray and. You know, just doing a, an amazing effort with him and his council there. They've been providing a lot of support for, you know, a lot of uncertainty. Uh, and, um, you know, it, it, the list goes on and on. Um, you know, Rick Bunker at Parks, you know, he, he's feeding people every day. Donald Stover at Sunland, you know, they're feeding folks every day and taking care of their physical needs, but also taking care of their emotional needs and spiritual and social needs and just, just the list goes on and on. I'm, I'm so, I'm so uh, proud of him because, because I kind of see myself as, as a pastor to the chaplains, and so I have to kind of make sure that they're being, you know, staying healthy and that they're uh, staying, um, you know, uh, I guess supported with resources and everything else. So, you know, my, my job is to make sure that that they're loved on. They know that they've got, uh, you know, support from the national office. And uh, and from a lot of partners around the industry, and, and that's been also a, a real blessing in all this. The the guys that are on the front lines, it's dangerous out there. Are they protecting themselves? What are they doing to take care of themselves? Yeah, and and they really have. Um, you know, we've had a couple of our chaplains that you know knew that they were kind of uh, you know had maybe some, some age or some health and that sort of thing in that regard. They've been making sure that they are following protocols and, and CDC, you know, guidelines and that sort of thing. Uh, we've had a lot of them, you know, still, you know, ministering and giving out meals like Chaplain Michael Bingaman of Rotama, you know, is, is, you know, feeding folks all the time. He's making sure that, you know, gloves are being worn and that the necessary precautions are being taken. And also, you know, Carl Criswell at Remington. So, they're feeding folks, they're taking care of physical needs, and, and they're trying to be as close as they possibly can. But, you know, again, they're they're also taking uh, some precautions themselves, and, and you know, and, and we want them to. And so, you know, it's, it's different as a pastor you know, or chaplain. You know, you want to be close to your flock, and you want to be close to those people who, who you're ministering to. And but you've also got to be wise, and um, and I think they've been both, and and we've been making sure that we're providing them the latest and greatest information, and uh, and keeping them supported that way. Now, Sunday obviously is an important day. Is there anything that you folks are doing to do as far as services or anything on Sunday? Yeah, we are. Um, you know, and that's, I think, all the churches around the nation in Christendom, I mean, across the nation and beyond, have all now had to switch to social media. So there's a lot of the local chaplains who have who have Facebook pages, and they'll be delivering their messages uh, for this Easter. They'll be delivering them on social media. Uh, 
I'll, you know, obviously, you know, I don't know of anybody right now that's doing uh, a physical gathering uh, just because of, you know, the conditions and that type of thing. But they're still continuing to get the word out. They're still continuing to, to minister to people. It's just it's just like everyone else. In, in a lot of things, you just have to be adaptable. And, and so they've gone electronic, um, a good portion of that. The tracks that aren't running, that's got to put a lot of demand on your people. Uh, because obviously many many of us in the racing business, we don't have six months saved up for a bad time. What are some of the things that your folks are doing to ease some of the pain? Yeah, it's, you know, obviously this, this whole thing caught everybody by surprise, and, and um, it was very fluid at the very first. And I think a lot of the of our partners in the industry, um, you know, the Jockey Club, Safety Net, and TCA and, and HPPA, kind of looked at us to be kind of the eyes and ears uh, in a lot of ways at the track uh, to figure out, you know, where horses were, were were going to, where workers were, you know, going to finally land because, you know, every track was having to make these decisions. Track managers were having to make these decisions, you know, on a um, – you know, moment-by-moment basis. And so I think, you know, what they've been doing is that, and I can't say enough for our partners. I mean, and I truly call them partners. I, I think w- the great thing also, too, about times like this is that, you know, like the Jockey Club Safety Net and, and TCA and the HBPA and the Breeders' Cup and everybody else has been saying, Dan, how can we help? What can we do? Uh, and that's just on a national level. And I know that, that the local chaplaincies are also receiving that support. And I'm telling you, you know, the great thing about it is, is that uh, they're great stewards of their money. You know, like a chaplain will receive, you know, a couple hundred dollars for, for food. They'll stretch every nickel. You know, they'll make sure that those physical needs are being met, met and just incredible in, in that regard. And, and you know, they're just, they're just adapting and doing the best as they possibly can. I think it's taken, uh, you know, an emotional toll on a lot of workers. Uh, I think that some of the separation and social, social distancing have been tough. Uh, but, you know, the chaplains are always still going to be there to, to love on people and to make sure, you know, that not only that they know that the chaplain loves them, but that God loves them. And just providing that, that you know, that support. Let me, I'm going to ask you two things that we didn't kind of really plan on. First of all, if somebody wanted to help out financially, how would they be able to do that? Yeah. So the quickest way uh, to do that would be to go to our website, which is rtcanational.org and backslash give, or you can just click on the give button. That's, that's definitely the, the, give that, give that address again, if you don't mind. Yeah. It's RTCA racetrack chaplaincy America, RTCA, national.org and uh, and then hit the give button or you can put backslash give either one. You'll be taken to our donation page. And when you do that, what we've been trying to do is, and some people have said, asked the same question, how can we help? And what I've asked them to do is in the memo column, if they have a certain local track that they want to support or if they want to support the national and our efforts to, to put, you know, uh, send finances out and that type of thing, um, they can do that. And we'll be incredibly flexible and make sure that, that the monies get to where the donor wants them to go. Um, you know, the national office always needs support. 
but you know, a good portion of our our finances that come in to the national office are are sent out for ministry uh, as a whole. But if you know, but if someone has you know a certain thing that's on their heart that they said, you know, hey, I really want to help the folks at Evangeline, or I really want to help the folks here or there. Um, you know, if they put that in the memo column, we'll make sure that every dime goes to that local chaplaincy to help, you know, because at this time, uh, we want to get it back out to the locals and to be able to support them as well. But, you know, obviously they can um, donate to the national office as well. That's great. And listen, this is kind of off the wall, but a lot of our people are feeling very distressed right now. Is there any chance maybe you could say a few words of hope or prayer? Yeah, I would, I would love to. And, and, uh, please do. You know, let's, yeah, let's all, let's all pray together. So father, we just come before you, Lord. And these are unusual times. We don't know what the future holds, but we know that you hold the future. And so Lord, I just pray father that you would be with our leaders in the horse racing industry. I ask father God that you would be with our government leaders and give them wisdom on how to proceed, and and those who are ministering out in the field, like our chaplains, Father, I just ask, Lord God, that your protection would be, be upon them, that you would give them uh, wisdom and discernment, but also, Lord, that you would give them support. Lord, we ask, Father, for as our country, Lord, we just ask, Lord, you be with our medical leaders and help them to make right decisions. And, Father, on the backside of all this, we know that this is all temporary, and we just want to be your people. And we ask, Lord God, that you would give us courage and hope, help us to be generous and kind to all those around us. And, Father, we'll be sure to give you all the, all the glory on the backside. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Dan, thank you very much, and that was that's going to be helpful for some people. And we, we appreciate all that you're doing and the organization, and if we can do anything for you. Please let me know. All right. Thank you so much, Les. God bless you. And, Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, that is about as important as it gets. The racetrack chaplaincy has been there for so many of our backside workers through this crisis. Uh, anything that you can do to help support them is greatly appreciated. Our next guest, we're going to shift gears a little bit again. And our next guest is Dr. Karen Bestie, who is a surgeon at Rudin Riddle and a personal friend and wonderful person. And Karen, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Les. How are you? Good, good. Considering the situation, I'm doing well. And how about you? We're doing well. Um, we're trying to take care of all the essential needs here um, and take care of horses that, that need our help. One of the reasons why I wanted to have you on was exactly that, is Normally, we have our own protocol in our minds as to when to call the vet. Uh, some of us call too soon. Some of us, you know, wait too long. In a situation like this, is there any protocol that you or Rudin Riddle suggest? Yeah. So, you know, right now, obviously, phone conversations and phone consults are really going to be very helpful. Just getting any concern you have with your horse, obviously, always reach out to your veterinarian. I don't think it's ever too soon, um, but certainly calling, letting the veterinarian know what's going on with your horse, um, if there's something new that has come up. And then that, that veterinarian can assess what's going on with your horse and whether or not your horse needs to be seen sooner or if these, this problem can wait until we're a little bit more sure of the situation and um, we've kind of been cleared and from our stay-at-home restrictions. 
certainly if um, you have elective procedures that are not time sensitive, so maybe you have a, a young colt that you're, you're wanting to get, get gelded, um, but he's not having any behavioral issues yet, and, and there's no kind of rush on procedure, and we're asking everyone to kind of hold off on procedures like that that are not essential. And this is really for two reasons. Um, the biggest reason is to conserve our personal protective equipment and our drapes so that we cannot stress the companies that provide these equipments to human hospitals. And a lot of the drugs um, that we use to anesthetize horses, um, antibiotics, et cetera, they're also used in, uh, in human medicine and have um, become very important right now. So restricting and kind of limiting our use to what we think is very important um, is really what we've been doing. And the second reason that we're asking people to hold off is just really to restrict, you know, uh, human contact between each other during this time, um, trying to keep our staff safe um, and uh, our patients and our clients safe as well. So we're trying to take it slow and really just take care of the essential needs right now. Now, this is usually the busiest time of the year for veterinarians, between mares falling, getting bred, Uh, horses ramping up for competition. I'm sorry? Yeah. Yeah, this is a very busy time of the year um, for most of the horse industry. Um, we're based in South Florida, so our year, um, our busy season kind of got to cut short a little bit here in March, um, and we're kind of, all the competition horses are leaving town, um, but certainly at our Lexington and our Saratoga practice, um, we're very busy um, with emergencies, and this is, this is one of the busiest times of the year um, for both of those practices. So... Given the circumstances, are you inviting people into the clinic more frequently than you guys going out and doing farm calls or vice versa? That's a really good question. Um, We are asking people, so if the horse cannot come to the clinic, then we are asking people to have very limited staff there when we arrive. And we are also arriving with very limited staff to kind of prevent that human-to-human contact. We're all wearing masks, of course, um, whenever we go to these places. But once we arrive at the farm, um, we do ask that, you know, besides the essential groom that maybe needs to handle that horse, um, we're having most people kind of leave the areas um, where they are. We would certainly prefer the horses to come to the clinic. And what's happening when the horses arrive at the clinic, the clients are staying in their vehicles. We're unloading those horses, we're examining those horses um, and coming up with a plan with them and then communicating with those clients actually over the phone. Now, this is going to sound really dumb, but it's a kind of dumb time that we're in. (laughs) When you get there, you know, do you use your shanks? Do you want to use your shanks? Do you want to use their shanks? Can you walk us through that? Because that a number of people have asked me, you know, what do I do? When the vet shows up, what do I do when the farrier shows up? Because they don't know. Yeah, and um, and that's a really good question. So we actually use all of our own shanks um, whenever we unload the horses and we're wearing gloves and, um, like I said, masks. And so we try to limit just any contact. Now, obviously, the halter and the horse itself has been touched by, you know, people, um, the handlers, et cetera. Um, so obviously washing our hands frequently throughout the day, particularly after dealing with a client or a horse. Um, we're definitely washing our hands. You know, we obviously washed them a lot before. Now we're washing them even more. 
And the, the big question that so many people have is, can the horse give you COVID-19? Yeah, so right now there has not been any reported cases in the horse, and until very recently there wasn't any reported cases in, in animals in the United States. Obviously that changed with that, um, you know, those big cats in the Bronx Zoo that have tested positive. Obviously a um, feline, even a large cat, is much um, Right now there's no evidence that that, that can happen, um, but we certainly still need to be vigilant and make sure that, you know, we're not, um, you know, kissing our horses, um, you know, sneezing on our horses, um, you know, doing those things that we love to do, maybe feeding them a carrot, you know, out of or eating an apple after they took a bite out of them. Um, but right now, the, there is no evidence to show that we can get it from the horse. Um, but I still think people need to be, you know, vigilant and, um, you know, kind of refrain from activities that allow salivary or nasal secretions um, kind of passing between horse and human. Yeah, it's, is there, this is going to, again, sound kind of dumb, but is there a particular shampoo type that we should be using to make sure that things are, for example, if if I'm working with a horse and I'm positive and I touch their halter, is there something I can shampoo the horse with or any anything that you could suggest? You know, we've been using um, dish soap, so, you know, ivory or done so been submerging those halters um, whenever we have a horse. Let's say we have a horse that comes into the clinic, uses our shank and halter. After every horse, we actually soak those um, those halters and those shanks in um, a bucket of water. With um, We have a certain type of shampoo that kills most germs, but we're at a hospital. But if we're just dealing with a healthy horse, um, we're using Dawn dish soap, ivory dish soap. Um, and really, it's all about contact time. So getting those things wet and soapy, um, you know, at least for a minute, 20 seconds to a minute is, um, is really what our protocol has been here. Well, that's that's very useful because those are questions that a lot of people have asked. Now, let's, if we can, look towards the normal normal world. Okay, so we're, okay. we're in, in mid-April. What are some of the things that we should be doing to keep our horses healthy right now seasonally? I think, you know, we still need to be making sure that we're deworming them, um, particularly here in South Florida, watching their skin, um, keeping them clean, really the routine stuff. Um, I don't think with our horses we need to change much on how we keep them in shape, how we handle them. Um, obviously, our horses, they need to have regular schedules. They need to be turned out if possible or if that's their routine. They need to be ridden and, and, and kept in shape. No horse is going to do well locked in the stall um, and neglected. So I think keeping them um, their normal routine. And then the thing to consider is when you're at the barn, um, your interactions with other people at the barn. So maybe coming up with a schedule at your barn where maybe you guys are coming in at different times to ride if possible, um, or just kind of limiting the contact between people. And I think if we do that at our barns, then we're going to be able to keep a really normal schedule with our horses um, and make sure that they stay happy and healthy. And now you, you just brought your horse down from or across from Texas. People yeah. traveling, is there anything that they should keep in mind? That I think is really important. I think 
what's really important when you're when you're getting ready to travel with your horse, and particularly now when things are changing day by day, you need to check, and particularly if you're going across into Canada, which a lot of our clients have done recently, we need to check with those state regulatory officials, the websites, and make sure that there's no new regulations every day. Another thing to keep in mind, um, and this doesn't have to do with coronavirus, but traveling in general, if your horse is going to be traveling through states, let's say where they have um, had cases of vesicular stomatitis or something like that, your horse travels through that state um, and that becomes, um, and you head, head across the border, they're checking you at a health point and they see that your your van or your company has been through one of those states, you could be stuck in a situation where you're in a quarantine scenario to make sure that your horse doesn't come down with, with any of those diseases. So it is important whenever you're mapping out your route or you're talking to your van or your hauler to figure out the route that they're going to be taking, the states that they're going to be going through, and making sure that whenever you do reach your destination, your horse is healthy and you haven't gone through a state that might get you into a quarantine situation. Right now, we're not seeing horses having difficulty traveling it's more the people associated with the horses. So horses and owners that are trying to travel to different countries, let's say Europe, particularly South America right now, um, it's not so much the horses having a hard time getting in, but it's the owners, the grooms, the people that travel with those horses. So make sure whenever you're booking travel for your horses that if you need to be with your horse um, or there's certain grooms that need to go with that horse, that if they cannot get into the country, that you either, one, postpone your trip or you find care for them once they get there with another barn, with another group that's already down there established um, and is not in a quarantine situation. The logistics created by this situation have been a nightmare. But um, yes. a lot of people, you know, it's interesting how flexible people are and you, and you mentioned it, you know, sending your horse to another barn for somebody to take care of it until you get there. Uh, people are really trying to work well together that way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then social media, you know, has been obviously feeding us nonstop news about what's going on, but also allowing people in tight situations to find help when needed. So there's definitely people in the horse industry have big hearts. Um, they're obviously willing to help most of the time. And if, if there's a way that someone can help and you can find them through social media or the Internet, um, that's, been, that's been really helpful to a lot of people during this time. It's true. Now, your, your practice's website, uh, rudenriddle.com, offers some tremendous videos and some tremendous educational stuff as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Yeah. And, and so that's www.rootandriddle.com. And, uh, Karen, I'm going to let you go because I know you're busy as can be. And uh, thank you for joining us. And that's great information that you've given. I yeah, really well, appreciate thank you it. For having, thank you for having me on the show. And um, I'm happy to come back anytime. Hopefully we won't be seeing you soon. <laughs> no, hopefully not. <laughs> Karen is our, our vet and we, we love her, but we just don't like to see her that often. Uh, <laughs> only, only on uh, non-horse-related occasions. Ex exactly. And send, send my regards to your dad. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. Uh, that was Karen Bestie, a surgeon with Rudin Riddle. And our next guest is Cormac Bretnack uh, from 
Airdrie Stud. Uh, Cormac uh, has a long tradition in the breeding industry, and he's probably never seen anything like we're living with right now. Cormac, have you? I think you're right, Les. Um, you know, these are unprecedented times for sure, and it's, you know, it's a challenge for everybody. Um, but the one thing about the horse industry is, uh, as a group, I think horse people are as resilient as they come. And everybody I talk to, I'm in touch with many breeders every day, and we're, we're still breeding a lot of mares. I think we bred 17 mares at Airdrie Stud yesterday. Um, you know, it's full steam ahead. And uh, everyone I'm talking to is saying that for as strange as all of this kind of feels in ways that their day-to-day routine is the same. They're feeding horses full of mares and breeding them back and, and looking to the future, and that's what we all have to do. You know, isn't that the kind of mantra that we live by in good times and bad? We just keep going forward? You know, that, that's it, really. And it, it's kind of heartwarming, you know, to hear people, um, you know, and, and, and hopefully everyone is staying safe out there. But, you know, everyone's taken a lot of precautions. We've changed some of our practices, um, you know, in order to keep things as safe as possible on the farm and also primarily in the breeding shed, which is the highest traffic area on the farm and, and at this point of the year, maybe the most critical in terms of the, you know, keeping the stallions going and keeping the, keeping the, uh, the opportunity there for, for everybody to, uh, to be successful. So, um, you know, but it, it is heartwarming to see everybody pulling together and, and uh, hopefully good things are coming of it. Could you tell me a little bit about the protocol? Let's say I'm bringing a mare to Airdrie and we we're about to pull up to the driveway. Uh, how does it work from there? Um, so that's, yeah, that's exactly it. The stand drivers or the mayor owners bring the mayors and park in our parking area. Um, traditionally, in other times, they would unload sort of on arrival and, and we would call them in and there might be four or five mayors in the receiving area at one time, you know, and holding stalls, either being prepped or one being bred. But right now we're doing everything one at a time. Um, this These guidelines, we actually began, I think, around the, Saturday the 14th of March was when we began it, and a couple of days later, um, the Kentucky Department of Agriculture and the Kentucky Horse Council and the State Vet Office all came together with many of the same recommendations, and we've tweaked to follow their guidelines to the letter. Um, what we do now is we call each mare one at a time. The van driver or, or the attendant or the mare owner will take the mare off the van. One of our crew members will come out of the shed, use one of our shanks to hook that mare up and bring her into the shed. She'll be teased, prepped, and bred, and then we'll return the mare, and the, the mare owner of attendant will load the mare himself, and, and away uh, and away she goes. So it slowed things down a little bit to where you don't have that sort of revolving door of, of you know, one mare being prepped while another one's being bred or so on. But um, really it hasn't made, you know, a tremendous difference. Everybody understands what we're doing and why we're doing it, and... Uh, and it just slows things down a touch, but it's been very successful, and mares are getting in full as normal, and, and hopefully, uh, you know, we'll see the back end of this before too long. And I guess you're taking the normal health procedures, you know, people wearing masks and washing the shanks and all that kind of stuff uh, yeah, to keep everybody healthy. Yeah. yeah, a lot of extra disinfection protocols, you know, of the equipment and, and different things, just stepping all of that up to make sure nothing gets missed. Um but, uh, yeah, in, in a way, I mean, it's the cliche, the more things change, the more they stay the same. So, you know, really, the, the practice is the same, but the precautions are increased, that's for sure. And you had mentioned that it's been pretty strong as far as people coming to the breeding shed. 
Yeah, it, it really has. Um, you know, we have we have ten stallions on our roster. Um, we've brought in several new younger stallions that people will be familiar with. You know, big name horses and, and Grade One winners like Collected and Kraken. And you know, we've got young horses at every stage of of their stallion careers. So we've got uh, two new horses in the shed for this year, breeding their first seasons. Preservationist, the arch horse from Centennial Farm, New York Grade One winner. What a pretty horse and he is, he, by the way. Oh, a stunning horse. Yeah, absolutely majestic, big, strong, you know, beautiful horse with a terrific pedigree. Um, so, you know, it's just important that we give these horses the opportunity that they need to be successful. And, and it's challenging. I mean, it's challenging every year, but this obviously makes things a little tighter in terms of the number of mares being bred. I'm sure there are a few breeders out there that are questioning, you know, what to do. But for the most part, it, you know, it's, it is really encouraging to see people just stay the course and, and, um, you know, this is what we do. And a lot of people say the same thing. It's like, well, we're not going to do anything else. We don't want to do anything else. So we're going to make the best of what we what we can. But, you know, from the stallion management point of view, you know, it, they have sort of a life cycle in terms of their their um, stallion careers. You know, there's typically a, a lot of buzz over first-year horses. Things can get a little stickier in the middle years before they have runners to prove themselves as good sires um, on the track, sort of from years four and up. So, you know, right now there isn't a lot of racing going on. We've got, you know, one of our best stallions is Cairo Prince, who's one of the best young stallions in the country. Um, you know, it's affecting him somewhat that they're, you know, his progeny are in stalls right now. They're not out there doing what we know that they can do and what people and trainers are telling us they can do. Although so I looked at the effect. list today, and he's the leading mm-hmm. dirt crop sire of uh, stake sources. So he is, yeah. He, yeah. He's doing pretty, pretty dandy well. He's doing really well. He's doing really well. And, and in this industry, you know, we want to keep reminding people, you know, they want to see winner after, you know, weekend after weekend and see big stake horses. And once racing resumes, he'll be front and center there. Um, but it's, you know, it, it's just an interesting kind of um, unprecedented set of circumstances. A horse like Upstart, who has two-year-olds this year, we just got a keyhole view of what he can do with the one sale that's been conducted, the OBS March sale. He had six horses sell. For an average of two hundred and sixty thousand off a ten thousand dollar stud fee, and he made all kinds of headlines and, and buzz there, um, which really has helped him in terms of adding mares for this year. But uh, you know, the more the more news like that we can get out there, the better. Right now, that part is uh, sort of on hold. By the way, if somebody's interested in breeding to him, all they have to do is go to the OBS website and look at the, those upstarts' work, and you can see what he's yeah. what he's producing. That was one of the things I noticed at the sale. He produces some really nice movers. Yeah, you know, yeah, that has a horses. True, yeah, the terrific, you know, kind of uniformity and and a lot of them breeds a quarter, which is plenty for you know a horse at such a young age, you know, two year olds. But they have that long action and a lot of inherent speed, and so they really breeds the right way. And I think it, you know, that was reflected in the demand in that kind of market to sell up to six hundred thousand dollars. Uh, per horse was, um, and all six of them brought six figures. It was pretty remarkable for a stallion with uh, with a ten thousand dollars stud fee. So, um, Mike Ryan bought two of the of those six and, and really raved about them and quotes he gave to the TDN. So, you know, lots to look forward to, and we're kind of on tender hooks waiting for you know racing calendar to open back up like a lot of people because one feeds the other, you know. Well, this is kind of an off the track question, but how do you market in in an environment like this? Because you do have young stallions. How, how do you go out and reach the public? You know, it's uh, 
it's a good question because, you know, there's no perfect way to do these things, but you really just have to represent the stallions, what they have done and what they're capable of doing. And just at this point in time, kind of remind people, um, you know, and a lot of farms are in the same position. But like I said, the, the industry and the resilience um, is reflected in the demand still being for these stallions. So uh, so we're encouraged. It's just a matter of time. And, and um, you know, it's, it'll be fun when, when things get back to back to normal and hopefully it's not too far away. Um, but in the meantime, it's, it's stay the course and just, you know, talk about what's relevant. We post pictures of, uh, of folds, you know, folds by the new stallions, like collected in the Kraken for this year. There are two new stallions with folds on the ground and we're getting very good response to those and, and to the, from breeders, but also to the pictures posted and, you know, just kind of reminding people of who they are and, and, um, hopefully help them to make the best decision. Something just came to mind. At the beginning of the season, you folks were pretty busy with bookings. And then during this, the first few weeks of this, has there been a little bit of a lull and has it started to pick back up? Um, so the, the bulk of bookings and nomination sales and things happen really in November is kind of probably the busiest month, November, December. Right. Um, and then it sort of picks back up around sale time, usually around Keeneland January sale. And, and it, it slows a little bit because a lot of the early bookings are already taken care of. And so this year, the, the, the sort of the rate has been similar to other years, really. Um, we didn't see, you know, a particular drop off, say, with the, with the sort of social distancing regulations and things that we're living through in, in personal lives that didn't really affect necessarily the, uh, the trade, I think, too visibly. But um, overall, this time of year, you know, there aren't as many mares out there unbooked. You know, you get mares that are late bowlers that people want to wait to see what they get in order to recommit or, or uh, you know, fillies that get retired off the track and whatnot. So that feels like other years, but, um, you know, we still have another sort of six weeks of that to go, really. Now, you've got a bunch of folks working on the farm. Has this been difficult for them? You know, is, is it a different kind of Obviously, there's different procedures, but is there a different kind of feel with the staff? You know, we've been very fortunate. Um, so the Airdrie Stud is owned by uh, former Kentucky Governor Brereton Jones and his wife Libby. And it's the family farm. It's the family industry. It's their passion, their livelihood. And they've done an incredible job. I mean, Mr. Jones has been one of the leading breeders, top five in almost every year and the last 10 or 15 years and beyond that. Um, so he's built the farm up to, uh, in Libby up to about 2,500 acres. We have probably in the region of 80 staff, somewhere around there. Um, and it's fairly self-contained. We've had a lot of staff for a long time. We have some housing on the farm, not everybody, obviously, but we have some core employees that are housed on the farm. We did make some changes to where in, you know, in the broodmare divisions and yearling division and so forth that, uh, the barns are populated with two people every day, the same two people. And so we've restricted the intermingling of the staff as much as possible on the farm. Um, you know, obviously anytime, you know, people are sanitizing and, and people are being screened and people are wearing masks and, and all of those precautions are being taken. And if anyone doesn't feel well for any reason at all, don't come in. Um, so it's caused relatively little disruption. Touch wood. You know, I'm hoping, you know, it, it stays that way, but I think it's worked out very well so far um and i you know in, in kentucky our governor has done an excellent job of you know communicating 
the reasons for all of these changes and, and sort of getting everybody on board. And hopefully that's been reflected in the disease rate in the state. It's relatively low. Um, and hopefully that means we're just kind of containing it the best way possible. And we're doing that on the farm as well. Not to be political, but Governor Jones was so far ahead of the curve when he was governor as far as health for everybody in Kentucky. Sure. And a lot of what he did is actually coming to fruition now. Well, you may be right there. I mean, he was a real visionary and he's so well revered and, and respected and loved by the you know, the Kentucky population, not just the horse industry. But um, I think, you know, we have a, a good representative in there right now who's, who's um, carrying on some of those good ideas. And you have a youngster at home. How, how is it uh, having homeschooling going on? <laughs> she, she makes it pretty easy on us, to be honest. She's eight years old, a third grader. And my wife normally works from home, but she's uh, on conference calls and things a lot. And she travels quite a bit, just not now. So the three of us are here. Um, and I'm busy during the day, as my wife is. So uh, she's she's self-educating. She's got online classes that started this week. It seems to take her somewhere between 20 and 45 minutes in the morning. So I've got to get with her and make sure she's doing it all. But um, outside of that, she's, she's a great kid. She makes life makes makes us look good as parents and, and um we're, you know, I think it's a little, it's a little lonely uh, adjustment being an only child and not seeing her friends right now. It's a little tough at that age, but um, we get out to play in the yard and stuff and, and uh, try to keep, try to keep energy levels up and, and um, we'll do, do some homework here tonight as well. Now, let, I'm going to embarrass you. If you were in third grade and in the same situation, how much schoolwork would you have been doing? Um, probably the only the stuff I liked, and um, maybe about fifteen minute stretches. <laughs> and no, and no, I'm not embarrassed. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, and I kind of knew the answer. So, uh, yeah, exactly. But I know you have to get back to work. There, uh, it's a busy time for you, and I, I appreciate the time that you've taken and all the nice things that your farm has done for us. And uh, we'll be in touch shortly. And uh, We'll uh, see. Matter of fact, we'll see if we can get that mare over to you in the next week. Uh, yeah. But but take care. And again, Cormac, thank you so much for being part of the show. Thanks, Les. Thanks for having me on, and uh, all the best to you. Thanks again. Uh, we'll take a quick break. Break right now, and then uh, we'll be right back. My name is Peter Thomas Fornital. I'm an avid horse player founder of the In The Money Media Network, and a proud supporter of the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. The TRF is the oldest and largest charity in the United States that's dedicated to saving thoroughbred racehorses when their racing days are done. For 35 years, the TRF has not only been saving horses, but human lives as well through their nationally recognized Second Chances program. I encourage you to learn more about the TRF at their website, trfinc.org. And if you're inspired to give a gift, take a look at our In the Money link, trfinc.org slash players. Spendthrift Farm is at it again, now offering breeders our best incentives yet, including deep discounts on young stallions and proven stallions. And for the first time, 30 days paid boarding at the farm of your choice so that you can breed your mare to a stallion from the most diverse roster in North America without the burden of boarding costs. Serious deals on serious stallions only at Spendthrift, the breeder's farm. Call today to learn more, 859-294-0030 or visit spendthriftfarm.com. 
They are superstar athletes, but they don't ask for more money or go on strike. They bring their best every time they play. They are great thoroughbreds, retired, and old friends. And here's commentator turning for home in the Whitney with a three-length lead. And here's commentator to win the Whitney again. And boy, he did it with some front-running style today. All commentator wants is a peppermint and to hang out with a couple of his pals, like Eclipse Award winners Hidden Lake and Sunshine Forever, or even a Breeders' Cup champ. Prize the surging Sierra Roberto toward the inside, a driving finish in the turf, and here's the wire, and it is prized! Many of the past superstars of our sport are still running around. So come visit them at Old Friends in Georgetown, Kentucky, or at our Bobby Frankel division, Old Friends in Saratoga. I know they'll be glad to see you. Go to oldfriendsequine.org or call us at 502-863-1775. Hi, this is Les Salzman, and uh, thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, First hour was eventful and interesting, and uh, I'm sure the second hour of the special COVID-19 uh, broadcast will be informative as well. And our first guest is Carlo Vaccaraza. And Carlo is one of the more interesting guys around the racetrack. Uh, a gr- excellent trainer who's trained a Breeders' Cup champion as, as well as a consistently high percentage trainer and pin hooker. And also one of the great restaurateurs in South Florida. But the reason we asked him to join us today is he started a charity movement uh, for the backside workers at Gulfstream, Gulfstream Park West, and Palm Meadows. And, Carlo, can you tell us a little bit about it? Well, I mean, all this thing came about probably, was we'll say, three weeks ago when I realized that this pandemic is going to become a nightmare uh, not only for the backtrace employees, it's just and only for the and, and and included the horses. The one of the biggest problems we have here in South Florida, especially at you know Culver and and Gulfstream Park and Palmeiros, we have a, a vast amount of trainers that uh, that they have you know maybe a handful of horses, and and these people they are hardworking people. They depend on other jobs or other business to support those horses. And due to the fact that some of those uh, business they have been shut down by the state or by the federal government, or you know some restaurants, some landscapers, and some small contractors, that I figure that particular person, whoever it may be. You know, if you have three kids and you have a mortgage and a car payment and, you know, a wife, I mean, uh, they want to put those horses on the back burner. So I talked to uh, Steve Scrinchy, the president of the HPBA, and, you know, uh, I spoke with him at length. And, and even though I'm a member of the, uh, the HPBA, I'm a board member, and we decided to start a, a GoFundMe in case that uh, if Florida is going to be completely shut down and some horses are going to be left behind, that at least we have feed and we have bedding for those horses. So doing that will take a big burden from those trainers, you know, to maintain their stables and maintain the horses and 
in, in, in a reasonable, you know, shape. You know, that that's really kind of great thinking ahead because, as you know, so many times, particularly in the old days, right, at the end of a meet, guys would leave horses. You know, and, and the horses are just standing there and the, the trainer's 30 miles away. That, that's that, that's correct. I mean, and 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 not only that. I mean, is 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 you have some trainers that are trained for owners that they unfortunately through the pandemic they can't afford anymore to pay for a for the for the daily rate, and you, you can't pass the burden to a trainer. So, like I said uh, to you before, we just uh, jump ahead and we already. Uh, collect over $13,000. We made some contact with some shaving companies in, uh, in Northern Oak, uh, Florida, and and uh, one in, uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, and we made some contact with some feed companies that uh, they are willing to help us at, at really a, a discounted price. He would buy some, you know, uh, you know, four, five, six traded loads of... Uh, of feed and and shavings. Well, that, that that's great. I mean, and I think not many people have thought that far ahead. And you know, we're going to talk to a trainer from Philadelphia Park or Parks in a little while, uh, where they've completely stopped racing, and I'm sure they're in that situation right now. They're, well, it, you know, it's it's you know, it, it's a little less. It's, it's a little bit of a. I've been getting some phone calls and, 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 and some people that, you know, you always have somebody with negative thoughts and, and he tell me, oh, my God, you guys are kind of greedy in Florida. At least you guys are still racing. You know, I understand that. I mean, and, and, and it's a pretty good point. I mean, it's a valid question, you know, and I didn't want to get into a, you know, a, a, a fight or a, with this particular person, but I, I explained to him, I said, listen, I understand that. But the problem is, is what about if, if for whatever reason, Florida gets shut down? At least we are ahead of the curb. We are not behind the curb because then after that, when they say it's no more race, if they ever say it's no more racing in South Florida, then, okay, now we want to start raising money. And somebody's going to come and tell me, oh, why are you in Florida earlier? So, you know, <laughs> exactly. It's a cash twenty-two, you know. You start early, uh, you damn you do it. If you don't start early, you damn you don't do it. You so, know, if if you don't do it, it's too late. Exactly, exactly, you know, exactly. It's it's not like we're, and that's one of the things that we're trying to get across in the show. It's not like we're dealing with static objects. Horses eat every day. They they poop in their stalls every day. They need new shavings every day. Yeah, it, this is in motion, and if we wait, it's going to be too late. I agree yeah. you a thousand percent. I mean, unless unless you know you are a big outfit, you know, you know. I I, I talked to Chad this morning, and he, you know, he is one of my best friends, and you know, he has probably you know the best horses and in America, maybe in the world. And, you know, it's, 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 it's a phenomenal train. It's a very, very good friend of mine. And he got some fantastic, fantastic owners. And this morning I talked to him around 
six thirty this morning. He called me and and he's he's feeling the pain. I said, uh, says Carlo, I, I have no idea. This this is beyond money. This is beyond wealth. It just is affecting everybody. No, it, it is, and it's at so many different levels. Uh, and you know, Chad Chad has a great operation and whatever, but he's also got folks that work for him, and people are getting sick and whatever. It's going to have a ramification to his operation. Uh, and yes. You know, he he's facing too. I mean, he's facing too. You know, he was playing this morning to me. He's facing, you know, so many issues. You know, I mean, uh, I mean, those horses, the horses that he has. You know, that was pointing to, you know, the Shadwell. That was pointing to a bluegrass. That was pointing here. That was pointing there. Now, what he does with his horses? Does he train the horses the same way? Uh, he had to lay off some of the employees. But he can lay out those employees that have uh, they have those uh, you know immigration visa. I mean, no matter what you do with those people, you have to keep paying them. Yeah, no, uh, th- that's the thing. The issues are so immense and so widespread that it's almost hard to get your hands around it. Yes, and you know, it, 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 unfortunately, unfortunately that. The, the way that we're going, the uncertainty, and you know, you talk to people like Churchill, you talk to people like Killen, and you know, they don't know. They don't know because I mean, this thing changed on on the clock. Every 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 minute something changed. I mean, I heard that now they want to postpone opening the backstretch at Churchill down. I heard that uh, it's a it's a big question mark about Saratoga. You know the governor. Right, they just laid the openings at the opening of Oklahoma just yesterday. Yeah, but I mean, it is it, no guarantee. That, uh, you know, pre, uh, Governor Cuomo uh, he may use some part of Saratoga to be kind of a sheltered area. So, like I say, so many, so many, so many rumors, and uh, and, and and people start panicking. You know, some state even even you're allowed to go there. I mean, they allow the horses, but they don't allow the help. So you're going to send twenty, thirty horses to Kentucky, and they allow the horses in, but who's going to take care of the horses? We, we were talking about that last hour with one of the vets from Rudin Riddle. Uh, these these are the, the things that none of us would ever have thought of six weeks ago or eight weeks ago. No, this that's is, why this is. That, that's why what you're doing is so smart. You know, if we can get ahead of just at least one or two things and not have to play dodgeball all the time, we're way way ahead of the game. I agree. Yeah. And, and, and that's and why I this think is good. That this should be should be not only done by, you know, some little guy here at Augustine Park, Palmetos, and it should be done probably, you know, nationwide. That's why. That's why it's so important. I've been loving for years and years. We should have. We should have a head of this game. We should have a. We should have a national commission like the NFL, NBA, NHL. You know, MLB. I mean, you know, one person on the top that he, he make all the decisions. Having having all the states having different commissions. I mean, with different rules, diff, different medication rules, and. You know, we should be more uniform. I mean, we we are ten times bigger than 
that that the NFL, NBA, NLB together. I mean, this is a you know billions and billions, maybe trillion dollar uh, uh, you know uh, organization. You know, and 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 uh, we don't have we should have a head, somebody there who runs it nationwide. You know, and the interesting thing is, and I agree with you a hundred percent. And maybe when this thing get, gets over, we'll have you back on the show with a couple of other guys to talk about it, but. This particular situation that we're in this moment is exactly why we need somebody. We need a leader. We need somebody who just to take the bull by the horn and say, this is what we want to do. And that's it. You know, I mean, it's just uh, right now, it's, it's like everybody's running for cover. We fortunately here in South Florida, we're still racing. I mean, it's just, uh, I mean, the talk of the town, and he became, uh, you know, Will Rogers and, and Fanner. I mean, they become. Uh, I mean, even even I, I was almost I was almost on the floor. What three four days ago? I heard that uh, Tampa Bay they bet almost eight million dollars in one card at Tampa. That's that's unheard of. Well, we had Chris Krulak on the show earlier today, and he's the CEO of uh, Fanner. And Chris was telling us that they handled better than four and a half million dollars at Fanner the night before last. So, you know, people want people want to bet on horses. They want to watch horses. They want to be involved. And uh, you're right. We need the leadership to get us there, uh, particularly in a time like this. I want to ask you another quick question. You, your thought process in, in putting this thing together and having the what-if mentality, you're a business owner, not only for your – your racing stable, but also for your restaurant. Okay, that kind of, well, what kind of planning are you doing there? Because that well, you know that's my favorite Italian restaurant in the world. So, well, I mean, we shut down here. I mean, it's so like the city of Boca Raton is completely shut down. We just do only takeout only, and I decide to keep open just to do a good win for the community. You know, because we're very popular. People come. We open from. At four o'clock till eight thirty p.m., you know, and we try to serve the community. And uh, but I mean, it's just uh, it's a little bit of a it's a little drop in the bucket compared to you know the business that we lost. But I think we have to stick together. I hope this thing will will just pass us soon and move forward. I mean, there's nothing we can do about it. The, the other the other thing I wanted to ask you, you do a lot, not a lot, but a significant amount of pin hooking with great success. Has this affected you in as well in that arena? Well, it is. I I, I have uh, I bought two horses at Tracy uh, Tipton, two high price horses, and I bought uh, eleven horses and Tracy Tipton in Kentucky and between Tracy Tipton and Kinland. and you know I you know. I basically I'm I'm gonna eat him maybe ninety percent. I sold I sold one. I sold a couple of days ago an into mischief and but all the other what eleven, twelve horses left. I mean they're all I mean, nobody's buying horses right now. Uh it's no sales in the horizon. Some of my horses they're gonna go they're supposed to go to to the sale at Gulfstream Park that was cancelled. 
and then the sale in OBS was canceled. Timonian in May was canceled. So, I mean, now they're getting closest to the sales in June and July. And I think this is going to be, it's going to be a nightmare because this is going to affect tremendously the yearling sale. Because who in the right mind is going to go and buy yearlings in September, knowingly that a full crop of three-year-olds is there available? Exactly. You know, and it's going to be unfair for those people too, because if they'll buy those horses in September and October, the the two-year-olds, you know, by the time that they're getting ready to races and they're getting ready to run, they're going to be three-year-olds. So they're not buying a two-year-old in training, basically buy a three-year-old in training. Now, it, it's pushed back the calendar at every stage of the game as, as far as the sales are concerned. And uh, you're, you make a very valid point about pushing the two-year-olds right up against the yearlings. Yep. Well, changing world, my friend. It is. I think this, is, uh, this is, it was a huge wake-up call for all of us. Unfortunately, nobody would have, you know, even 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 figured this thing is going to come. And you know, everybody thought it's going to be like you know the flu season, and it's going to get over. But I think he got to us in a big way. Well, thanks to you for for getting this fun started, and uh, I agree with you. It should be something that the National HBPA looks at or whatever. Uh, to bring this across the country because horsemen will be needing some help uh, as we go forward. Yeah, like I said before, the SPBA here in Florida is very, very proactive. You know, we have uh, we have a, a different programs here to help the horsemen in the event that uh, you know we get the we we'll get the curb hit us. The is supposed to hit us in the next couple of weeks, but we are we are prepared. Um, and we're here just to help the horsemen. Well, as a horseman, I appreciate it, and I appreciate because this isn't the only time that you've gotten involved, and I appreciate all that you do. And, Thank uh, you. We'll either see you at the barn or at the restaurant soon, hopefully. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Take care. Thank you, Carlo. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, that was Carlo Baccaraza, uh, who's just been a very, very important force in South Florida racing. Our next guest is my go-to girl, or woman as we say these days, Tammy Gant, who's uh, the Associate Vice President of the Florida Thoroughbred Breeder and Owners Association. And uh, Tammy, welcome to the show. Good afternoon, Les. How are you? Great, thanks. And I really appreciate you taking some time out because I know you're you're like the, the little boy at the dike putting their thumb where all the leaks are. Uh, I need and, a few more. <laughs> I need a few more thumbs. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know that you, you're working hard and uh, taking the time is appreciated. So tell me, what what is the FTBOA doing in Ocala right now to help the horsemen? Well, I think, I think there's a lot of things that we've been doing because what we found is a lot of resources out there weren't um, specific. They were very general for the general population. 
And so what we have done is really listen to what members are saying and what people need now. And so the, the questions that I get change daily from members. But, for example, we created a resource list of um, what to do to, to, um, for guidelines for your farm, for your breeding shed, um, so that operations can continue under those CDC guidelines. And so we have looked for those best resources throughout the world. So we've seen some coming out of New Zealand and, and actually some out of Australia, and we've seen some good things from sales online and, and English. And so we're really trying to give our members the tools that they need at the moment they need it. So, of course, questions recently now are um, for their, their um, programs that they could qualify for, for loans, things like that. Um, and so NTRA did a great webinar on that. And so, again, we try to connect those resources with folks on the ground here to help make a difference for them. If somebody were listening to the show and they wanted to view those resources, do you have them online yet? We do. We actually um, put it on quite quickly because we kind of have a crisis mode when there are hurricanes. So we were able to use that same kind of communication model. So immediately we put those resources on our website. So if you go to www.ftboa.com, um, you'll find them readily. You also can go to our social media accounts, which is Facebook, Florida Thoroughbred Breeders and Owners Association, or the Florida Horse Wire to Wire. You can find those resources there. And in addition, we've added another layer that we didn't have in the past. And so we have a publication called Wire to Wire Racing Digest that is published and printed in Marion County. However, we have one digital edition a week, but we've now made that four digital editions a week. So very much like some other trade publications in the thoroughbred world. But what we have done is we've turned it around to it's free for everyone in digital. And so people can sign up at uh, wiretowire.net. And so, again, that's wiretowire.net. And that gives folks that additional layer of resources um, as quickly as possible. And, and that's been really helpful to me as a horseman. Uh, there's been some great information, uh, and I urge everybody that's listening to go to the FTBOA website and use those resources because, again, we're all scuffling to try and figure out where the next check's going to be coming from and how we're going to make things work. That website has a lot of good information, and, and, and your team has been working hard on that, I can tell. Thanks, Les. Well, you know, like, for example, the Breeding Shed Protocols, um, the Jockey Club released a really good set of those. So we put those out in the community, but we also shared what local folks were doing a little bit ahead of that, which was Pleasant Acre Stallions, Journeyman Stud, Ocala Stud. You know, a lot of farms always follow um, those biosecurity measures anyway and the sanitation measures, which is what we all do as good animal husbandry. And so it's, it's it, for them to tool up and get to that place um, of protocols um, earlier than maybe some folks would was really good to see. But we wanted to make sure that people were getting accurate information. So we, we you know, utilized the Jockey Club. We've utilized the Florida Department of Agriculture and worked closely with the state veterinarian and really tried to make sure folks are getting every ounce of information they can to make the best plans they can at the type of operation that they have. Ocala is different than most other communities uh, in the fact that there's a strong concentration of breeding. There's a strong concentration of sales. There's a concentration of horses getting prepped as two-year-olds. 
the calendar now, and we were talking about that with Carlo just a little while ago, the calendar now is completely torn apart. How yeah, are people yeah. react, reacting to that? And, and, and where do you, th- you as somebody in the middle of it, see it going? Yeah, so, so one of the things that we noticed with um, O'Calibrator Sales hosting that March sale was, um, and I heard this a little bit, um, Boyd Barani talks about it, Fasig Tipton, and the folks down in Australia are talking about it also, which is, okay, so how do we shift that and how do we sell what they call our products? So we've got these horses that are ready and waiting. They're, um, uh, you know, they've got a little longer shelf life, if you will, compared to like fruits and vegetables and, and Florida right now. Um, so the question is, how can methods be put in place that these horses can get into the hands of those potential owners, and how can that marketplace still continue to move? And so OBS was able to host that sale. It was a little bit down slightly because obviously the factors related to folks moving moving around the country. Um, however, they were able to do that, and some horses moved. So then they said, what can we do? So they postponed that April sale to June, and that April sale is really the world's premier sale of two-year-olds. So that's changed that dynamic, and that and that's the question that I think everyone's trying to think of now, looking at are there some other models that can be put in place. For example, English just had, um, down in Australia, had an amazing sale, and did they you did watch it all that? online. I watch components of it, and I actually task my interns to go, because I have two interns that are working remotely, and I task them to go into it in detail and say what was working well, what's different than other sales that made it successful, and also drilling down to um, who those buyers were worldwide. And and also, there was a lot of support by those folks that are just huge players down there, Guy Waterhouse and some others that just said, we're going to do the right thing, and we're going to go ahead and buy a few more horses because we're in this for the long haul, and we support our industry. So we do believe there's people out there that will say, you know what, I'll buy an extra few horses because I know in the whole system, if we all work together to just do a little bit more where we can, um, then we can we can make this through um, a time that's really challenging for 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 everyone. And and you know there's opportunity there, right? Uh, those those extra horses that folks are buying, they're probably buying at a little discount from where they would be in a traditional market. Yeah, and, and I think maybe it also um, can broaden um, and change a little bit of their business planning, too. They can say, well, now I've got kind of a secondary area of horses here, and how is that going to work for me? And and I, I think that, you know, that model of more eyeballs, I mean, we all look at markets, right? Markets are the goal is to be, you have curb appeal, you're on the main streets, you've got a great location, or what do you have? You have a lot of eyeballs on your on your product. So, so an international marketplace where you have something online and has a very good potential. And in and, English and um, has, has kind of proven that out. No, that's not to say that, you know, a lot of us are so hands-on. We want to see those horses. We want to walk and see their action. And while we can look at videos all day long, there's something to see about the essence of a horse that's in person that doesn't change. But I think that the market still has some viability to move into some areas that maybe we haven't fully explored in the past. Well, I think, you know, you're, you're 100% right. And the interesting thing about the success of that sale was the fact that they were yearlings and yearlings are the primary touch and feel product, right? You know, two-year-olds, you can see them work. You get the vet report. You got an idea. Uh, mm-hmm. Broodmares, they're broodmares. Yearlings, you know, you're going to check that ankle, do this, that, that, you know, watch the wall. The fact that they were successful and the, produ- the production was so well done 
mm-hmm. gives a, a lot of hope for a good future outlet. Yeah, and it's interesting because, you know, if you go back to the 70s or 80s, and you as a media person appreciate this, where, um, you know, horse racing missed the boat as far as being on TV, right? We had the NBA springing up, uh, the the MLB, everybody, you know, in sports world, professional sports was, let's be on TV, let's be on TV. And, and while NBC was always so supportive, a lot of horse racing content was not on TV. And so we missed the boat. And so now we have an opportunity to be maybe ahead of the boat, if you will, as far as how we can um, have a very visual product and a very visual sales situation um, that could be international and have some great potential. And also, it may open us up to additional people that would not have thought about purchasing horses before that have had an interest in it, but for whatever reason couldn't get over to the OBS sale or couldn't get down to South Florida to the sale. Now they can say, you know, I'm sitting in my home here in London, and now I'm thinking, you know what, I I could watch this really great presentation. So it's like some of the other sports that are going on where people are being very creative on what they're doing, except in our case it's, it's treating it as what it is, a marketplace. No, and you're 100% right. Having been part of the first satellite auction back in the 80s, uh, you've got a true believer in that market. But the interesting thing, and you hit it right on the nose, is that you can get the international buyer who maybe says, ah, that's too far for me to go, into the marketplace. And, and that's added dollars, whether they're the underbidder or the winner. Uh, that's added dollars into the marketplace, and uh, I think well, it's important. And that's key, is, is, is it's about bidding, isn't it? It isn't always about the person that got the horse. It's about more folks on the horse. And so, exactly. um, you know, and, and a lot of times people aren't coming to the sales in person because they are international business people, and they're very busy. And so they have to utilize their time extremely wisely. So while some will send people and emissaries for them to the sales, Others would say they're, they're type A, right? A lot of people that are um, international business leaders are type A. They're very driven, so their time is, is very precious. So if they could be in their office, their home office, or even traveling wherever that might be and be able to place a bid on a horse, um, you know, or be that underbidder on a few horses, that, that's good for everyone. Yeah, you're 100% right, and, and they are. They're, they're push-button type of guys. They want to push the button and – and feel like it's their decision. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, exactly. And so, but going a little bit back to um, what's happening here locally. So once Florida last week went into that um, at midnight, you know, essential services only, one of the for initial things we got was a folks concerned if their farm workers were essential um, employees. And Homeland Security designated, um, you know, a couple months ago, I guess, that yes, all of agriculture is. So folks can go in and take care and provide for the health and welfare of horses. And that's really, really key that folks um, can go do that. And what's great on farms is you're outdoors and you typically have that distance. And so there's not a huge amount of changes. It's just people are going and refreshing themselves on those biosecurity measures of, you know, washing down the latches, making sure that, you know, equipment between horses is not shared, which is which is a thing that racetracks do very well. Having worked at a racetrack, the biosecurity on a backside is very, very good because you have a large quantity of horses. So many um, operations here in Ocala are consistent with that those type of measures to begin with, and they just added that extra layer. You're 100% right there. Now, talk to me a little bit about the food chain as far as feed, hay, shavings. Have you seen or heard anything where we should be concerned? 
Oh, that's a great question. So literally about three weeks ago, there started to be a bit of a rumor about concern. And so we are very fortunate in Ocala that Kai Springer, who's the head of the Florida Feed Association, he's the current president, he he is um, he works at the Ocala Breeders um, Feed and Supply. And so one of the first things that they did is they checked their supply chains for feed. Now, some feed is warehouse. Other feed is, is super, super fresh and not warehouse. And so they went through those supply chains, and they their number one thing is, hey, don't hoard. Just buy what you need and maybe buy a little more so you don't have to go out as frequently. And so we have seen that supply chain to be very stable. I've gone to a number of feed stores. In fact, my intern is working on a project today to identify things that feed stores are doing differently because there's a few that were smaller that don't deliver but now are offering delivery and offering payment over the phone so that you limit interaction and other ones are waiving minimums and because we have a lot of small breeders here and those small breeders probably don't do deliveries to their farm like i go every week and i pick up my goods well now they are offering those because they know it's it's a good thing to do to make sure everybody's supplied um but at this point we haven't seen any sorts of shortages in fact um, they have been very proactive and very proactive in making sure lots of um, types of product is available, and not just for horses but for all uh, types of animals because there's quite a bit of agriculture here in Marion County, of course. And Marion County, fortunately, has been relatively lightly hit by people being infected. Well, um, yes and no. I think that they were up to 60-something cases. And so oh, we've wow. seen it. Yeah, we've seen it kind of a bit explode. It started out with some folks that were travelers and things that they have identified. Um, but folks, as far as I'm concerned, and again, I'm not out and about, but when I have been out in the community or heard people out in the community, folks are following those, um, um, those CDC guidelines. And hopefully... You know, because we've got a large um, horse community here, but we also have a large senior community in the Marion County area. So we are the horse capital of the world, but we also have probably as many seniors to match the number of horses we have here. And so that senior communities have done very good at doing lockdowns a little early, making sure that only essential folks go into those areas. And so I think the rest of us as a community know, hey, we have a lot of seniors here. We love our seniors, and and we're just going to do our business as usual and protect everyone else by following the guidelines. Um, so that's what we're, we're seeing. I've seen when I did have to pick up my feed, um, you know, it was a remote location. When I went, I did see many people in masks, many people with gloves. In fact, the, the employees that are dropping the hay, they've got gloves and masks, and they basically wave your receipt at you to say, do you want it this way or by email? So, um, you know, I've seen a bit of that going on uh, in the local community and um, and I've seen the FFA and 4-H students really go um, virtual online, doing a lot of stuff for their ag projects. So a lot of folks are really, you know, um, taking this to heart. Well, you be careful out there because I know you, you you're always on the go. So uh, please take care of yourself and uh, thank you for a lot of good information. And uh, hope, hopefully within the next few weeks, uh, we're heading up to Ocala and, uh, Horse and Hound and uh, all, the, all the fun stuff that we normally do up there. Uh, but keep me posted as to what's going on. Give your website again and the public, uh, the wire-to-wire -wire information because that's so useful. So the, the publication is wiretowire.net, and you can sign up there if you haven't done so, um, or you can view the issues there. And then our website is um, www.ftboa.com. 
And before I go, I do want to mention that we have a lot of things on social media that folks can find, including uh, Laura Allen. She's a, a, an awesome artist. I know you know her well. And um, her exhibition went up right about the time we closed our office to the public. And we're still doing business as usual. Um, we have a Dropbox, but unfortunately people can't see this wonderful exhibition of art. Um, and it is beautiful. It was a, a special one with lots of Florida blood, bread feeling and a lot of um, history. And so folks can go online and view that exhibition, and we encourage them to do so just if they want to take their mind off of what they're doing. Um, and Les, thank you for your support with me. I'm actually on five acres, and so my neighbors are not close, and um, my little friends that I have to worry about are horses, goats, chickens, and and donkeys, and so um, I've got a very lively work, a remote workstation going on here. Okay, well, you take care of yourself, and as always, a pleasure to talk with you, Tammy. I'll talk to you soon. Les, thanks so much. Have a good day. You too. That was Tammy Gatt, the Associate Vice President of the Florida Thoroughbred Breeders and Owners Association, and our next guest is another, I don't want to say old friend because she's so much younger than me, a friend for many of many years, Kate DeMasi. Kate, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on today. Well, I know it's kind of a crazy time for you, and uh, you're, you're, you're primarily at parks, am I correct? Yes. Um, I'm stabled at parks, and I do keep a string of horses at Penn National as well and because we breed a lot of PA bread, so both, both places, actually. So this has got to be a difficult and unusual time for you. Very, very. Uh, I hardly know what to say. It's just such an uncertain time for everybody, but, um, you know, springtime, you figure horses are starting to come back into training that have maybe been laid up over the winter. You've got the baby sales, which have all been canceled. It's just been a crazy time, yeah. So, you know, you you mentioned breeding, and we've been talking about the sales and how everything is getting backed up. But I think one thing that a lot of people don't realize is at the racetrack, you've got – how many do you have in training right now, just ballpark? I have, I have 37 at parks, and there's about, um, I'm going to say, 15 at Penn. Okay, so roughly 50 horses. Mm-hmm. And you, you have no place to run. Nowhere. And so, I'm sorry. I said nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, you have absolutely nowhere to run, and these horses, you're training them every day, and they're getting fitter and fitter and fitter, and it must be a horseman's nightmare to walk some of these monkeys. <laughs> Well, I think the general, uh, most of the, most of the folks on the backside, now that, you know, we've, you know, initially it was shut down for two weeks, you know, is what we were told. And then of course it kept extending and obviously now we're in for the duration, but I think everybody took a back, back seat. They just kind of said, you know what, we're not going to keep them ramped up because we don't know when we're going to start running. So actually I, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of the horses actually start to sort of level off and kind of get settled because I don't think they're, you know, they're not breezing every week and stuff now. I think everybody's just sort of figured, okay, we're going to keep them in light training. We're going to keep them going so that when we have a date out there, we can start to get them 
gassed up again, but I think everybody's actually taken a deep breath here the last, okay. I'd say the last 10 so, days. Every, you can really see everybody's just, just chilling. They're chilling. They're training, but they're chilling at the same time. <laughs> I guess they hunkered down. And uh, now, now, do you change? Are you changing diet or, you know, what, what are you doing to kind of make that work? I think a lot of people, um, you know, I can only speak for what I do, but I, you know, in talking to other trainers and stuff, I mean, you know, horses that, uh, you know, that you normally train, you know, you're just training them a little differently. So you can probably back off their feet a little bit. Um, you know, those horses that maybe needed to gain a little weight or having an opportunity to, you know, those horses. Good that, point. Yeah. You know, like I, I made this comment the other day to, um, our administrator for turning for home, I said, you know, are you getting an influx of horses in, you know, with people just feeling like, oh my God, you know, I got to, you know, lighten up my load. I can't, you know, um, and yeah, they, they said they have, but it hasn't been a crazy number of horses, but yes, they've had a, you know, a few extra horses probably placed through the program, you know, horses that were probably going to be placed through the program, but people figure, well, maybe I can run them a couple more times, but now they're actually sort of saying, well, you know, at this point I got nowhere to run. He's got some issues and I might as well place him now. Um, so I think if anything else, I think it's probably benefiting some horses on certain levels that maybe were, you know, running a lot. Um, kind of forced that break. Well, you know, that, that's, that's a hidden benefit that actually most of us haven't thought about. Uh, but it's it's probably good, especially for like those old war horse types or those little fillies that are, you know, fretting, you know, it's probably good for them. Yeah, I think that they're, you know, if you want to look at the silver lining, which I always try to do. <laughs> That's why I, I called that, you. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So I think that if nothing else, I think that horses that otherwise would have not gotten a break or getting one and uh you know and if you've got one that you know needed to be backed off of now's the time to do it you know um you know when you think about it we've never i don't think of any time in the time that i've been training that we ever had a situation where you could not race somewhere within the jurisdiction of where you were stable i mean uh, you know if if say parks wasn't running, there would be some other track that was, or, you know, there's always been that happening. And for the first time ever that I can ever recall, I mean, there's no, no Laurel, no Delaware, no Monmouth, no New York, no Pennsylvania. I mean, that's, that's an unusual situation. No, uh, the only time I could even think of anything being so something similar was when the horseman went on strike at, at that time, I think it was still Keystone and we were dark for a period of time, but you could still run in Maryland That's or someplace. Right. But yeah, you know, but mm -hmm. this is, you're right. They've pu pulled the plug and what's, what's it like? I mean, the mentality of, of the help and the, some of the smaller trainers, it's got to be very brutal. Yeah, I I think it is, and I. But the one thing that we kind of all agree on is we are a lot luckier than some, because we can actually come to work and get out of the house for, you know, several hours a day, and 
sort of feel like we have a normalcy in our lives to a certain extent that a lot of people probably don't have right now. So my heart goes out to those people that, you know, are stuck inside having to learn how to educate their children online, (laughs) Um, you know, and, you know, and and those poor people that are working diligently to, to, you know, handle the, the sick people in the hospitals and stuff. My heart goes out to all those medical people that are on the front lines of all this and the all the people that are in, you know, those those positions that are helping everyone. So we're well, in a that, better that, situation. That's a valid point. And, you know, that's always been your your mentality. Like, my situation is not as bad as anybody else's. Right. Uh, and, and And that's what we, we as horsemen, I think, that's one of the things we got to keep in mind. You know, at least we have the horses to work with and everything else. The financial pressure, I know, is difficult for a lot of people right now. It is, and, yeah. And my, my my biggest concern at a place like Parks or any or Penn National, even more so, is that it's going to force a lot of folks that have been in the industry for so many years out of the game because they just won't be able to afford to stay in. Do you, do you see any of that happening? I, I definitely think that's going to happen. Um, to what percentage, I can't say. I think that the one silver lining, I mean, they can only do so much, but we do have um, some good horsemen's organizations in all of the mid-Atlantic racetracks. They've been incredibly supportive to the backside workers. I was just reading an article about, you know, how they're getting, making sure that everyone has meals and I mean, like the chaplain. I mean, I was talking to the chaplain the other day. I mean, I had no idea how many meals and how much food that they Yeah, we just had them on at the early part of the show, and they're doing a great job. Yeah, they really are. And I just, so when you, um, you know, so we've really, I think, been taking care of the family. But as far as the financial stress and the that, to me, is, you know, it's going to get to us. I mean, you know, we're only a few weeks into it so far, technically. And I think in another three or four weeks, I think people are really going to start to feel it big time. That's, that's you know, if they're feeling it now, they're going to really feel it in another three to four weeks. And I think that is a little scary. Now, is there any any conversation about bringing racing back in Pennsylvania? I don't think there's any conversation about when racing is going to resume in any area right now in this mid-Atlantic region. Yeah, and the reason I'm saying that, you know, we have racing down here in Florida. Yeah. And we just, earlier in the show, we were on the phone with uh, one of the guys from Fauna Park, uh, and it seems to be working pretty well. And I'm just wondering if they could do something similar up there so you guys can make a living. I would like to think that we could, but I wouldn't, you know, hold my breath on that, to be honest with you. So, so it doesn't, I mean, doesn't look like something that's right around the corner. I I don't think so, no. I think that once other, you know, once one comes online as far as racing goes, I think it's going to maybe give us a chance to, like, for the others to fall in the suit. But I, I don't know that any of the tracks are going to just, I, I don't know. I I don't think any of us really have that feeling that it's going to happen. We'd love for it to happen, but I don't know that I think it's going to happen. I mean, you got to remember, like, 
we're pretty far away in one respect from New York, but let's face it, we get a lot of traffic of people and cars and everything else. You know, Philadelphia and New York, they're two hours away. So I think it probably until New York, things settle down in New York, I'd be surprised before we start running. That's Good point. my opinion. Good point. So will you, will you be able to keep everything at the track, or will you need to send some of them to the farm? Or um, I don't. As far as me personally, I think pretty much what we have at the track will probably stay at the track. But I do know several people did send some horses to the farm um, right off the bat. I think that um, just because it was economically, they weren't going to probably be able to do it at the track. And, um, but I think, you know, like all of us are hopeful that maybe sometime in May, uh, maybe we could get back to running, but I, I, I just don't know if that's really doable. I mean, originally I thought it was, I thought that based on the, you know, the 60 day time frame, we, we stopped basically March 13th, we got shut down. So I was thinking, you know, middle of May, we should be back to running. And I, I don't know if that's a, a really justifiable date right now that's got to be tough you know just working kind of in the in the ozone in the ozone exactly and how about the your help is their their handling it okay i think overall um a lot of the help you know are doing okay overall because they're still coming to work um you know everybody kind of a adapted to what they could do you know some people laid off a few people some people um you know i i heard you know some outfits were kind of doing like half crew that way you work this week and then these guys work next week um and some people just kept their people on and just you know try you know trying to make it work that way so i don't think a lot of people got you know put out of a job so from that side of it, I think that they've been able to kind of, you know, still come to work and feel like, you know, that they're working towards the next day that we're going to race, you know. Um, it's just a little different pace from that side of it, you know, because you're not expecting to be ready to go to a race soon or something. But so I think there's a lot of stability. Again, going back to that, I think there for the for most of our workers, I think there's a little more stability than than other people in the world out there that, you know, are working from their home office and something that they've never had to do before, you know? Yeah, and, 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 you know, there's a lot to be said for having something to do when you wake up. You know, so many people, so many people now are just waking up and they're turning on Netflix or YouTube or whatever, and that's the day. And... Fortunately or unfortunately, in our business, <laughs> you don't get to watch Netflix in the morning. That's right. I mean, you still have to know regardless. You're still going to have to go take care of the horses. <laughs> so, yeah. so I think that in some ways we are luckier than some. Um, you know, but like take, for example, uh, you know, as far as what's happening in our industry here right now, like those folks that did not get to sell horses that they had bought as yearlings to pinhook. 
I can't imagine, talk about financial stress. I mean, I'm under enough stress, but I, I can't imagine what kind of stress they're under right now. Now, we had a couple of people that are involved earlier on in the show, and it, it, it is extremely stressful. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, now you, it's, it's like we don't know when we're going to start racing. Well, at this point, they've got to be wondering, when are we going to be able to sell horses? You know, when are we going to be able to have another sale? And that's the two-year-old sales. Forget about the fact that, you know, we're going to be coming into summertime for yearling sales not long from now. So, well, I mean, it's that, just, Carlos Baccarazza was on just a little while ago, and that's what he was saying, you know, that the two-year-old sales are being pushed back right into the lap of the yearling sales. Mm-hmm. And who's going to want to buy a yearling when you can buy a two-year-old at the same time? Exactly. Yeah. You know, so there, there's a lot of ramifications, and uh, we're in uncharted territory, places where you or I never thought we'd be. No, no. And, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, so all you can do is just take a, a deep breath and, you know, put your head down and just keep on moving forward if you can. And I noticed the other day that you you kind of reached a milestone. You've now broken the 1500 Win mark. Yes, yes. Well, congratulations. Uh, well, thank I, you. I remember you when you had seven. <laughs> I know. Yeah. So no, you've done a great job. Well, thank you. Yeah, it was a big milestone. Yep. Well, you, you've you've worked very very hard for it, and you know, you and Greg both have done a great job over the years, and we're in a quality operation. And I, I appreciate you taking the time. You know, this is a, such an awkward environment we're living in. It definitely is. Well, I, you know, I appreciate you reaching out to me. And uh, like I said, you know, we're also breeders, too. So, I mean, I was just talking to uh, one of the folks that do a lot of our foaling and stuff. And I'm just like, we were talking about to a certain extent, how our lives aren't really changing because we still have to be taking care of the horses, you know, in terms of like the foaling is still going to go on, the breeding is still going to go on, but, you know, other facets of the industry are going to be greatly affected, which is in, which is going to be indirectly affecting the breeding industry, I think, as well. So, I mean, it's, you know, from that whole ball of wax, you know. Well, hopefully we get through this thing in one piece. And uh, tell Greg to uh, stay safe and healthy and keep out of trouble because I know that's hard for him. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we will talk to you guys soon. Katie, thanks again. And uh, thank you, folks, for joining the show. Uh, we hope it was informative for you. And uh, we will be back with you soon on the Equisport Radio Network. <laughs>